Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes available in paperback, ebook, and audio format. And volume 11 is out. And that is only available right now in paperback. So have at it, folks. And before I introduce you to my brother, a thank you from none other than a listener and a friend of the podcast, Jerry. You may recall I asked you guys to pray for Jerry weeks and weeks ago. Uh, Jerry was, in fact, the fellow who I met by his sharing his sighting of the Bigfoot walking across the Mendenhall Glacier. He was the former Alaskan bush pilot who saw a string of Bigfoots walking out on the ice. And uh, Jerry was in a really bad way, and uh, he's getting better. So keep praying for Jerry the bush pilot, (laughs) even though he's not a bush pilot anymore. And now my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? Yeah, that's great news, Bill. Good to hear. I don't know if you heard it. The uh, On cue, the Apache helicopter squadron was flying over my house there. <laughs> Maybe they're launching an investigation. <laughs> <laughs> By the it's way, nice and you- <laughs> dark out there. Maybe they got the infrared on. <laughs> did you get to cutting up that uh, Bigfoot yet or no? That's for the future. Not yet. Not yet. As you know, I... Hurt my shoulder, so I'm kind of mm-hmm. a little gimpy. This would have been the perfect time to be working on it. So Yeah, and Dave, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, I gave my brother the tracing that you gave to me that I made the Bigfoot out of. Yeah. And now he's going to put one together. We got these Bigfoot silhouettes going all over the place. <laughs> As I said, a charming little note of whimsy back behind <laughs> the trees in my backyard. <laughs> An eight-foot-tall hairy man. (laughs) Unbelievable. A lot of fun, though. So, bro, what do we have in our uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Yeah, we're going to an article uh, that I came across that was published uh, by a man named Walt Williams in one of the newspapers out west. Um, and it's called Mystery Monster Returns Home After 121 Years. Oh, that's weird. So you can understand that got my attention. Naturally. <laughs> mystery. Yeah, mystery monsters and over a century, you got a story. 
Bingo, you got me. <laughs> I'm in. So this creature I hadn't heard of before, but I shouldn't say I hadn't heard of it. L literally, I haven't heard of it, but I have seen it mentioned on like cryptid posters and stuff like that. And it's called the Shunka Warakin. Shunka Warakin? Yeah. Is that and some type of Indian name? Sometimes you called a, a Ringdokus as well. Okay. I don't know if it's a Native American name or not. It certainly looks like it, but I'm not sure. Okay. Say it one more time. Um, Shunka Warakin. Boy, I've never heard of the Shunka Warakin. Okay. It sounds a little bit like a Star Wars creature. <laughs> But today's not April Fool's Day, so uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not. So let me let me tell you about this. So, okay. um, more than a century ago, obviously, this this creature looks a bit like a wolf. It looks a bit like a hyena. It looks a bit like a feral pig, but you know, big like a wolf or hyena. And I have a picture of this. Uh, that the creature that vanished was actually the uh, stuffed animal that was shot 121 years ago. So the taxidermy mount of this creature disappeared for what appeared to be more than 100 years. So let me and get this straight. This thing had been shot by somebody legitimately over 100 years ago, was taxidermed, Yep. And somebody ripped off the taxidermed uh, critter. Yeah, either they ripped it off, it was misplaced, or whatever. But it turned up. But yeah, the, the animal was shot in 1886, and we're going to get to that. Okay. All right. So um, this was in Madison Valley. And um, Madison Valley's out in, Wyo uh, out in Montana, near Wyoming, in the middle of nowhere, basically, northwest of Yellowstone National Park. Okay. Okay, so definitely rural area still today. And the, the story goes that more than a century ago, this wolf-like creature prowled the Madison Valley, killing livestock and letting out screams that one account said would leave a person's hair standing on end. Wow. So this is an account back in the 1800s. Holy and, cow. Yeah. And a bullet from a Mormon settler's rifle ended the animal's life and triggered stories of the creature that were passed along through generations of family history and local folklore in the region. Huh. That's interesting. The yeah, it's crazy. And the only evidence of the creature's existence was a missing taxidermy mount and a grainy black and white photograph of that mount, which then started to fuel strange speculation about what kind of animal it really was and why did the mount disappear. Where was the mount? Do we know that? Well, it was someplace local there, right? Because it's in the 18... Yeah, I'm just saying, was it hundreds. like in a, a an eatery or a person's house or a business? I think it was just in somebody's house back then. And it got ripped off or disappeared? Disappeared, yep. Huh. I'm do sure we, it got ripped off, you know. Do you know do we know when the ripoff occurred? Um, well they say it was disappearing dis gone for more than a hundred years. So long time ago. Yeah. So it was shot hundred and twenty years ago and then disappeared give Shortly or take thereafter. Yeah, yeah, somewhere after that it was gone. 
Yeah, and that caused the legend to escalate, right? Like, what was this thing? Where, what, was it a wolf? What, what was it? And by the way, when I'll put the picture up on BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com under episode 232. Not a wolf, not a pig, not a hyena. I don't know what the heck this thing is. Hey, it's my neighbor Joey. But not not <laughs> something doctored up either. You know, it's a it's a perfect uh, taxidermy mount. Wow. Looks like it's missing an eye right now, but wow, interesting. Might have been missing an eye when he shot it. I don't know. Now, where did it <laughs> where did it show up? Do we know that? Who yeah, we so uh, they he the, it's get this. So that the grandson of the settler who shot the animal tracked it down. He says, "I never doubted the story that it existed," and he found it in the Idaho Museum of Natural History in Pocatello, Idaho. No kidding. Yeah. So somehow it showed up there, and of course it doesn't have an address on the bottom of it or something, so the museum puts this critter on display, doesn't know what it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, well, it's like, they. Uh, as a side note, they claim that a lot of things that were ripped off by the Nazis uh, have been recovered in museums around the world. Sure. They get turned in, you know, and what do we do with it? Yeah, or or they just took it and and put it on display, <laughs> and somebody said, "Hey, what are you doing with that?" Well, that's that's the uh, old joke. Like, if you go to the uh, um, British Museum of History in London, which is you know one of the greatest museums in the world, mm-hmm. the joke with all the Brits is, "Well, it's not really a British museum; it's a museum of all the stuff that we stole from everyone else." And it's true. <laughs> It's, it's true, absolutely right? 100% true. And I was listening to an art thief, a professional art thief who had been convicted and trying to make a book for himself, you know. And he said, art is meant to be stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> and he was, well, he was given all the historicity, like you just said about these museums, like, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, but the Brits are more, you know, well, yes, it is stolen. But when they conquered places, they took it from them. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah Which that sports. is stealing, but it's not like art thief stealing. <laughs> it's not like Alexander Monday on It Takes a Thief. Exactly. Walking around <laughs> with his black suit on. <laughs> the old cat burglar. Exactly. So, so you know, this uh, gentleman, Jack Kirby, he got he actually borrowed it back now from the Museum of Natural History in Pocatello, Idaho. And they have it on loan with the Madison Valley History Museum in Madison Valley. Huh. So it's pretty cool. Now, you have a is that what you have a picture of? The, the- I have a picture of it. I have a picture of uh, um, Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. who looks like he might be, sorry, Jack, if I insult you, but when this was published, he looks like he might be in his early 70s uh-huh. with like this massive rifle. Mm-hmm. Massive historic rifle in his hand, and he's on a knee next to this creature with his hand on his back. Wow. And this creature has a wonderful snarl on its face and looks like it's missing its right eye. Wow. Wow, really, man. Yeah, pretty creepy. So It is creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, is it believed this thing was legit? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it looks legit. Again, like, you know, sometimes we see these taxidermy things, Bill, and it's like a cross between a raccoon and a, a deer with antlers. Yeah, I mean, people are doing up. this stuff up these yeah. days. You no, know? this isn't that. Just, when you see it, and they describe it here. So um, 
strongly resembles a wolf, but sports a hyena-like sloping back mm-hmm. and an odd-shaped head and a very narrow snout. So this long, narrow snout is, you know, on the front of it, and the head looks a little bit like a wild boar, if you can imagine. Yeah, I can. I'm trying but to picture what you're boar. saying, you know. Yeah. It has a dark brown coat, almost black, with lighter tan areas and a faint impression of stripes on its side. That's hyena-like right there. Yeah, it is. It is. Any uh, fangs or teeth of any... uh... Oh, yeah. You can see the teeth. The mouth is open. Wow. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the... uh, some of the stories about this thing, just just at least one. Okay. So it measures 48 inches from tip of snout to its rump, not including the tail, and it stands about 28 inches high at the shoulder. So it's a big beast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the mount is in really good shape, and that's what I'm saying in the, in the picture. Uh, shows no signs of wear and tear and retains the color of the fur. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Well, whoever taxidermed it did a good job, that's for yeah, sure. so get this. One of the first stops when it came back into town was they brought it to the gravesite of the man who shot it. <laughs> wow. We took him down to the cemetery to CIA to let him know the creature's back in the valley, said Kirby's wife, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, I.A. Hutchins, his grandfather, shot the animal in 1886 on what is now the Sun Ranch, but not on his first try. He accidentally shot and killed one of his cows when he first spotted the creature on the land. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Betsy. Sorry. Reload. And uh, he killed the, the strange animal when it appeared on his land the second time and traded the body with entrepreneur Joseph Sherwood for a new cow. So uh-huh. Sherwood was the taxidermist. He mounted the animal and put it on display in his combination store and museum. Well, there's your answer, Bill. At Henry's Lake in Idaho. Uh-huh. Up the road. Okay. So that's interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The, the, the creature apparently baffled the people who saw it alive, and some speculated it was a hyena escaped from a circus rather than a wolf. The younger Hutchins remembered its haunting screams at night and wrote that after it was shot and in its death throes, the animal bit through a half-inch rope with a single bite and exerted his very last strength to reach any one of us. Wow. Isn't that wild? That is wild, man. So there were people standing around. People had seen this thing. Yeah, they had a rope on it. And uh, as it was dying, it bit its way through the rope with one bite. Wow. And you know what? Uh, Here we go back to the circus again, right? Anything that's seen uh, that's unknown must have escaped from a circus. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, right? Whether it's a wild man or uh, a creature like the old circus train crash. (laughs) Always the circus train crash. Always the circus train crash. Yeah. Interesting, man. Really interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, the tail, apparently uh, uh, the story of the creature, as Sherwood reported it, reached a national audience with when the prolific writer and naturalist Ross Hudson, Hutchins wrote about it in his 1977 autobiography, 
Trails to Nature's Mysteries, The Life of a Working Naturalist. And he actually included a picture of I.A. Hutchins and his grandfather with the story. Huh. So pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's been around. It's been cycled and recycled a little bit through the years. Yeah, and it, and it turns out that the tale was picked up again by writers Lauren Coleman and Jerome Clark in their book Cryptozoology from A to Z. And in that book, Coleman linked the, the creature to, to uh, something that was talked about in American legend with the Native Americans. And in that legend, the creature used to sneak into camps, Native American camps, at night to steal dogs. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, that had to be some ruckus when a dog gets attacked by another animal, you know? Oh, yeah. Kills it outright. Yeah, where did you see this picture, man? It's it's uh, something else. Yeah, something else, brother. <laughs> so if you're out there in Madison Valley, go see the History Museum and check out the Shunk of Oregon. <laughs> Shunk of Oregon. And if you can't make it out there, go to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, episode 232, and check him out because he's creepy looking. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so that's it on your shunk of working. That's the shunk of working. Well, in that case, I got to ask the listeners a question, because if you're like me, you probably thought this thought. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be uh, an ambulance driver or an EMT paramedic or a coroner? Uh not knowing in many cases exactly what you're going to walk into or drive up on for your investigation or your pickup trying to help somebody. And this story uh, or account, evidential finding, if you will, uh, was brought to my attention by none other than an EMT, Stan Friedman of Missouri, This is what Stan saw when the call came in to his station, and he responded to it. What I'm about to tell you, Bill, is, as you already know, not that lengthy a tale to tell. Nevertheless, I thought that after having seen the evidence with my own two eyes, that it was necessary for me to do so, to which I now know that you agree. On November 12, 1999, a call came across that a hunter had been found laying in a field who appeared to be dead. A woman who had let her dog loose for a run in the same field, having made the discovery. My partner and I were dispatched to the scene, and we knew that the police would be there as well. The location, as it was given over the radio, was about 15 miles outside of town, near an area comprised of woods and farm fields, and we left immediately. When we arrived at the scene, the police had just gotten there, and the woman with her dog, who is now on a leash, was talking to the officers and pointing with her hand out into the field. As we got out of the ambulance, there was a Jeep parked by the edge of the field, as well as a Toyota Corolla, which we later learned belonged to the woman who had found the body. 
Now, this field and adjoining tract of woodland was one of the only non-farmed areas around. In other words, the majority of the surrounding area for miles and miles was used for grain or corn production. As we walked out into this field, the woman was bringing us along the wood line to where the body was discovered, keeping in mind that she said she had found a hunter. When we walked up on the deceased, who we could tell was in fact dead, he was lying on his side in a very strange posture, with the evidence of blood having poured out of his mouth. We took note of a rifle laying on the ground some 20 feet away from him, as well as a shooting support pole, if you will, the kind used to steady a rifle for long shots in the field. We also noticed a target set up on the far side of the field, which the woman had not seen prior. It seemed as though the man had been standing on one side of the field and shooting across the field, either sighting his rifle or having some target practice. What I couldn't wrap my mind around was the amount of blood that had come from his mouth. Blood that was pooled up now and somewhat dried up on the ground and soaked into the ground around him. His body was bent backwards, so much that he looked like the letter U while lying there on the ground. He looked like he had been bent backwards around a stout tree, if you can wrap your mind around what I'm saying. The amount of blood that had exited this victim's body before the heart had stopped was indicative of a tremendous internal trauma, perhaps to many different organs similar to a tremendous vehicular crash of some kind or when someone is run over by something of very heavy weight. The man's body, from say the waist up to the mid-rib area, appeared to have been crushed. But the question was, by what? In other words, how does a man standing alone in a field find himself being subjected to such a hideous death? A death which was obviously not self-inflicted. And by the way, he had a rifle. While we were there waiting for instructions from the police as to whether or not Uh, we were going to take the body or if it was going to become a crime scene. We were casually walking around the area looking for anything else we could find, and find we did. The man's body was currently about 30 feet into the field in reference to the wood line. However, when we walked closer to the woods, we came upon some interesting evidence. There was a spot where there were multiple boot prints that were the same as those that were on the victim's feet. And there were also many indentations in the ground from where the shooting pole had been put down. In other words, this spot was the area where the man was actually shooting from, not from 30 feet out in the field. And then we found what I had called you about, Bill. 
approaching from behind where the man had been standing were a number of extremely large bare footprints like that of a human, but not if you catch my drift. These, my friend, were the tracks of a Bigfoot. Of that, I was certain. They were at least 24 inches long and had made impressions in the soil three times deeper than those of the man's boots or our own. Having now seen these monstrous prints that had approached the shooter from the rear, we now made the presumptive leap that the creature was apparently not happy about the presence of this marksman and his firing of the rifle, taking matters quite literally into its own hands. Having seen these newly found prints, we had called the officers over, and by this time there were three of them. It's funny, and I don't mean that in a humorous way, but as all of us were now gathering around these footprints, the woman with the dog was attempting to come over and have a look-see for herself. Her dog, who prior to this was sniffing the body and pulling her here and there on the leash, would not go anywhere near the footprints. He started to bark and growl, biting his leash and pulling her away from the tracks. It was obvious to us that this animal, having sniffed the man's body out in the field, now wanted nothing to do with the scent of whatever had left these footprints. As I stood there and saw the dog's reaction, it came to mind that perhaps there was a lesson to be learned here. It was highly doubtful in my mind that this dog had ever had any contact with a Bigfoot. And yet, instinctively, it knew to stay away from this odor. Perhaps we too should stay away as well. And if the marksman who was now lying dead on the ground could rethink his actions that day, I believe with certainty that he as well would have chosen a different agenda for the day's activities. It's just a thought. What do you make of that, Kev? That's pretty wild, Bill. So the Bigfoot didn't like... Uh the sound or actions of target shooting, apparently. And who knows, you know, I've spoken about this many times with many people. There's got to be creatures out there that are familiar with a gun and what the results of a gun are. Absolutely. And uh, who's going to know how they're going to react to it or like or dislike or be angered, whatever. Which bears witness, Kev, to the statement that I have made repeatedly through our many podcasts, that you have no idea the disposition of these creatures and what they're willing to do or not to do in regards to a human being, uh, uh, shooting a rifle, being seen with a gun, or anything of that nature. I mean, do you agree with that? 
I do, and it, it really depends on, you know, it's just like hunting uh, or, or being around like the big brown bears or otherwise known as grizzly bears up in Alaska and some of the rural places I've been with them. If they don't know what guns are, which, you know, there are plenty of animals out there in a great wide wilderness that have never seen a gun or heard a gun and plenty that haven't seen a human either. Mm-hmm. So they don't know what to think. So they may not be aggressive at all. They may be cautious. But if they do know what a gun is, and maybe they've, you know, lost uh, uh, a child or, you know, uh, yeah. a Bigfoot pal or whatever to a gun, they're certainly likely to be aggressive towards it. Yeah, yeah, if they know. I know that horses, right, like in the Old West, they used to train horses to not lurch when a gun was fired from horseback. Yeah, I mean, sometimes animals are just afraid of loud noise, even if they don't know what it is, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. hunting dogs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they teach them to be around the gun to get familiar with it and then associate the gunshot which, with a falling duck, you know, right. or whatever. But but I'm saying, you know, like a Bigfoot, a ba- I compare it most closely to a bear. Mm-hmm. You know, the bear, they, they don't know that a gun is bad mm-hmm. until they associate the violence with the gun. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they can associate it, you know, I mean. But to what extent, we don't know. Remember uh, when we were young, our dog would hide under the bed on the 4th of July? Oh, yeah. And that little rascal would not come out? No, and both of both of my Labradors didn't bother him at all. It's kind of funny. Thunderstorms didn't bother him at all. Fireworks, nothing. It's got to be something to do with the breeding, right, as the hunting Could be. Dog. I mean, they were labs, purebred labs, you know, coming from a line of... Retrievers, you know, maybe maybe it sticks with them in the breed. I don't know. Incredible. Well, pretty cool. Uh, excellent uh, cryptids in the news coming from your end, and uh, pretty wild uh, EMT uh, account coming from uh, my end. So, what do we have in our listener mail today, Kevin? Yeah, we got some good emails this week, Bill. Uh, the first one comes from Tom from New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Home of Old Man in the Mountain, or used to be home of Old Man in the Mountain until he fell down, unfortunately. (laughs) He lost his face. Yes, true. (laughs) Unfortunately. Um, And the subject is Christmas presents. Maybe maybe he sent to you some for me. Uh, I don't know. I haven't gotten any, so... uh, (laughs) He says, Good afternoon, guys. I just want to say how much I love your podcast. I listen to it when I go to bed. But we got another guy that falls asleep listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> so who was listening? His wife? I don't know. He says his wife bought me your first book in paperback and the second one as an audiobook. Ah, All, right. Okay. All right. Thank you, Tom's wife. Thank you. And he says, hope you have a great new year. Your wife is looking after you with her heavenly visits. Yeah. Best regards, Tom. Amen to that, Tom. And uh, kudos, uh, as I said in the beginning, volume 11 is now out in paperback, and I will be starting to record that. In fact, uh, I have two uh, sessions booked already for audiobook, uh, this month being January. So it takes a little doing to get that whole thing going and finished up, but it's coming. All right. Awesome. All right, and our next email comes from Spencer. And Spencer says, your podcast rules. <laughs> rules I don't know what, what we rule, but we rule. 
But Spencer writes, I grew up listening to Click and Clack on Sunday mornings on NPR radio. And uh, Spencer, I grew up <laughs> listening to it, too, on WSHU. I think it was 91.1 up in uh, Connecticut, broadcast uh -huh. across the Long Island Sound. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite things to listen to when I was a kid. <laughs> he says, you guys are the Bigfoot version, and I enjoy every episode. And I enjoy the books even more. Fantastic. I think Sasquatch is a primate, not an interdimensional creature. My opinion is shaped on some of those bone-chilling accounts you've documented, W.J., much love to you guys. Now, did he say that he thought that Bigfoot would be a prime mate or a primate? <laughs> I think he said primate. Oh, okay. I just, yeah. I, I didn't know. Maybe he was interested in the Bigfoot. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and one of our frequent writers, frequent listeners, Lee <laughs> from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I know you like coast to coast is the subject. He writes, hello, guys. There had, they had a list of Bigfoot going on, goings on listed on their website. One even comes from Minnesota, my stomping grounds, mm -hmm. and close to where I go camping from time to time. If I spot a hairy man, I'll let you know. And if he spots me, since I sport a manly beard, I bet none of his friends will believe him. <laughs> he says the Bigfoot's friends will say it was a bear. <laughs> but, Lee writes, don't worry, Bill. I carry a 40 caliber pistol with me, and I have a 7.6254 rifle in the camper. I can put a round through a six-inch pine tree with it. <laughs> He says, it gets the job done. You bet your bottom dollar there, bro. He says, I look forward to every episode and hope you have a few hundred more in you. <laughs> Lee from Minnesota. I love that stuff. <laughs> That's how he spells it, too. Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. It's like when you don't want a whole bottle, you buy a mini soda. A mini soda. Remember those little RC colas? I do, those little, little, and the small six packs of Coke, remember yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like eight ounce bottles. Little teeny bottles. More glass than pop. It's true. They, they still sell them from time to time down here, you know, in the home of Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola in the Southeast. And uh, literally, the bottle weighs weighs as much with no Coke in it as it does with the Coke in it. It's, it's an incredible waste is what it is. <laughs> exactly. You got freaking point, point zero zero one cent worth of beverage in a bottle that costs a quarter. <laughs> All right, and our last email gets the creep on a bit here from okay. Thomas. Okay. And the subject is ranger training in the Chattahoochee National Forest. And when yeah. I first read this, I thought he meant like park ranger, but he's talking about army ranger Yeah, training. oh yeah. And he says, I was just listening to your podcast, and I've been listening for about six years now. Mm -hmm. As I was laying there, I was thinking back to my days in the military. The second phase of ranger school is mountain training. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in the mountains of Georgia, in the Chattahoochee National Forest, we were patrolling and getting graded on our leadership skills. It had been about three days walking through the mountain laurel with limited food. I was the designated squad leader. 
I was in charge of getting six soldiers of all different ranks from point A to point B. As we were walking through the creek bed, I looked back and I noticed that one of my fellow soldiers was having a hard time. We do not use flashlights. We travel through the woods using light discipline. The only light we have is a red filtered flashlight. Mm. And I looked back and noticed my buddy fell over a very thick branch and was upside down with his head under water. I quickly grabbed him by his pack and pulled him up. He was very thankful, and we sat there for a minute to get our breaths. Here's where the weird stuff started. After I pulled him out of the water, I looked to my left, and I can only describe what I saw as a two-and-a-half-foot gremlin-type creature staring at me. No kidding. Yeah. It almost seemed as if it was laughing. I've only told my wife about this. As it was looking at me, it almost seemed like it floated up in the air. Mm. I turned away to see how my buddy was doing and then looked back and it was gone. Wow. To this day, I really don't know exactly what it was. Mm. I thought you guys might like to hear about it. After the event, we all linked up as a platoon and ended our patrol for the night. I've always wondered if anyone else has seen these types of oddities. Great podcast. Keep up the good work, Tom. Really interesting, huh, Kevin? Super creepy, right? Wow. Just really nuts. And by the way, folks, if you heard me cough, I just realized my mute button stopped working, Kev. Ah, there you go. Yeah, and uh, I don't know what's going on with that, but it's always something. Yeah. But this isn't easy when you're recording this podcast 600 miles away from one another. Yeah, in this swank studio with our engineers at our beck and call. I know, those engineers, they were sleeping. I think I got a gremlin <laughs> as an engineer. Wake up, do your job. Hey, hey, come on now. <laughs> oh, you over there in that sound booth? I just looked out the window and I thought I saw a dog man looking in him. I don't need him as a sound engineer. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes is right. Well, All right, great episode, Bill. Yeah. We are here well into season six now, believe it or not, awesome. and uh, cruising along. So great podcast. All you folks, if you haven't given us a great five-star review for season six yet, get out there and do it on your favorite podcast player. And thanks very much for listening, and keep those ideas and emails coming in. Yeah, and folks... If you should be wandering around at Chattahoochee, the fields in Minnesota, Missouri, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.